0: This letter, 1 John, is a letter from the Apostle John and the companions he was with to the Christians in the first century. Think of what our long-ago brothers and sisters endured in that first century. They were persecuted, taken from their homes. Many of them were beaten, killed, even fed to wild animals. They really underwent tremendous persecution. But just imagine that one day... It circulated that a letter had been received by the beloved Apostle John. And they were going to hear what he had to say. Can you imagine the excitement as they gathered to hear the elders read this letter? And you know, if you think about it, when we open up God's word, we should get pretty excited too. Because it is the word of God. So we should be just as excited as they were. This letter is also for us today in the 21st century. Think of how we keep receiving contradictory messages about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christian faith on a daily basis. If you listen to the news today, you're bound to have heard a few. Surely you've noticed that Bible-believing faith is under almost constant attack. Uh, Just last night I was watching the news and a high school boy was running track uh, for this school. I think it was a public school. And as he finished winning the race... He lifted up his hand with one finger saying, Jesus, to Jesus, singing praise to Jesus. And he was expelled for that because he did that. Um, There there was also a report on the same evening about a a man in the army who had a Bible on his desk. He was an officer had a Bible on his desk, and he got in trouble for having a Bible on his desk. And when the uh, person, the reporter, said, "Why is that such a problem?" They said, "Well, it's over the line. It goes over the line. You're not supposed to promote any religion." So we are under constant attack. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired John to record three vital passages of Scripture. You probably know them: the Gospel of John, the letters, First, Second, Third John, and the Book of Revelation. Doctor J. Vernon McGee, if you remember that name said that in each of the four churches he served in Southern California, he began his ministry teaching the book of first John and McGee said he always introduced the book by stating that the Holy Spirit had a fivefold purpose for writing first John or uh, all of first john the f- a fivefold purpose the first purpose was fellowship in first john one verse three it says that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what is the basis of our fellowship with God? What is the basis? Well, the Bible tells us. First John 5 tells us, verses 1 and 2. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments so we are begotten by God and other people are begotten by the Holy Spirit so we love the people that are begotten by the Holy Spirit you got that when you look around you you have brothers and sisters who have begotten by the Holy Spirit they are our brothers and sisters and we have fellowship with them And then, so fellowship was the first reason. Joy was the second reason, he said, that John was given orders to write this book. In 1 John, verse 4, chapter 1, it says, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. So joy is the second reason. Isn't it interesting that God wants his children to have joy? While we were singing those delightful tunes that Mike was leading us, I think that it gave you joy as you sang those songs. Am I right? Can you imagine how the Lord feels when he hears us sing songs like that? I think it gives him joy too. I know it does. So joy is another reason. And then the third reason is that we not be people that sin. In in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the Lord wants us not to sin. And yet it says here that if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. Well, there's good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the fourth reason that McGee gave is eternal life. In 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12, it says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You're never going to die you're going to get out you're going to leave this body but you're never going to die for eternity you're going to live for eternity you're going to be with God someday you're going to be with his people you're, you'll never be you never have to worry about dying forever. We have eternal life, not partial life and then the fifth reason McGee gave is that we have assurance of eternal life so that's five good reasons to teach this book. Fellowship, the basis of fellowship, joy, that we not sin, eternal life, and assurance of eternal life. Let me read you verse 13 in chapter 5. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Isn't that just like the Lord to assure us that we have eternal life? There are two major divisions in chapter 1. The first division has to do with the apostles being eyewitnesses to the person of Jesus and his ministry. Uh, I'm going to read those four verses. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That was f- which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. they heard him for 3 years they heard the lord jesus speak wonderful words for now uh, for for the past year they had been scattered in persecution but they continued to hear the words of jesus as he ministered to him or to them i should say they heard many truths they did not know and had never heard as people said no man ever spoke like this man think of the words that jesus spoke Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. So the next time some relative or some mean person gives you a hard time because you, believe, you confess to know Jesus, just remember... Great is your reward in heaven. That's what Jesus said. He said, "'You are the salt of the earth. "'If salt loses its favor, how shall it be seasoned? "'It is good for nothing but to be thrown out "'and trampled underfoot by men. "'You are the light of the world. "'A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, "'nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, "'but on a lampstand, "'and it gives light to all who are in the house.' Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So they heard him speak profound words like this. Then they heard him speak words of kindness to sinners. Uh, In John 8, it records an event of Jesus speaking kind words to a sinner. Let me read it for you. This is John chapter 8. Early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him th- first throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is the Lord Jesus that we know. When he speaks to sinners, he speaks words of their kind. When you fail him, he doesn't want to hit you with a strap or something he speaks kind words to you so that you will repent of your sins and have fellowship once again they also heard him silence the skeptics in John 8 verses 13 through 19 the Pharisees therefore said to him you bear witness of yourself your witness is not true can you imagine taking issue with Jesus himself I just can't even imagine it but they did You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus said, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Then they heard him teach about prayer. Jesus said, After this manner you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, this is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now they heard the Lord Jesus speak, actually speak words. You and I have also heard his voice. Maybe not audibly, but we have heard his voice. How do I know that? Well, in John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's a, a song that Christians used to sing a lot years ago. It happens to be Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa's favorite song. I want to read you the words to it. It's about Jesus speaking to a believer. I know that you'll know, many of you, particularly if you're very old, will remember this. (laughs) I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there None other has ever known. I'm sure some of you know that song already. That's because God speaks to us. And then the Lord spoke, and a person wrote down these words to another song. I wandered down a lonely road. Let me repeat that. I wandered down a lonely road, and no one seemed to care. The burden on my weary back had bowed me to despair. I oft complained to Jesus How folks were treating me. And then I heard him say so tenderly. I left the throne of glory and counted it but loss. My hands were nailed in anger upon a cruel cross. Be faithful, weary pilgrim. The morning I can see. So take your cross and follow close to me. Isn't it something that the Lord Jesus speaks to us? And we know it because we feel his presence. Now, unlike these early believers and John the Apostle and others, we have not seen the Lord Jesus like they did. But there's one more word I'd like to add, and that word is yet. We haven't seen him yet. Peter said this. He said, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We are going to see him someday. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Look at yourself today. Just look at that body you came here in. One day it's going to look a lot better because the Bible says we, when we see Jesus, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In Revelation, which John also wrote by the Holy Spirit, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly, quoting Jesus, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, a.m. Did I say a.m.? I should have said amen. Even, <laughs> if you were up here looking at these notes, you'd make some mistakes too. <laughs> In verses 5 through 10, we have the test of obedient fellowship. We're talking about chapter 1. Verses 5 through 10, the test of obedient fellowship. Is there a test? Yes, there is. It's walking in the light. How do you walk in the light? You read the Bible. You pray. You come to church. You have fellowship with believers. You, you witness to others. We can't have fellowship with a holy God if we're not living a holy life. We can't have fellowship with a holy God if we walk in sin. Verse 8 of chapter 1 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. Now, the first century church, to a large measure, those that had been born again, they really practiced obedient discipleship. It says in Acts 2 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine And fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. You know, fellowship makes us strong. If you make a habit of coming to church, you become a strong disciple. That's what this verse says. Think about it. When we come together, guess who else comes? Jesus comes too. He said where two or three are gathered together in my name, and there's more than two or three here, there will I be in the midst of them. So say welcome, Lord Jesus. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. Are you bashful? We welcome you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So when we come together, Jesus comes too. The Bible tells us to let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Lord is not uh, using a whip with us to get us to come to church. What he's saying to us is he's encouraging us that coming to church makes us a better disciple. We get to know him better, and we have fellowship with him when we come with fellow believers. This is an interesting survey that Fuller Seminary did with Evangelical Christian married couples, a few years ago. So this survey was among evangelical Christian married couples. Those who did not attend church regularly were four times more likely to be unfaithful to their spouses than couples who were in regular fellowship. Isn't that something? And then God wants his children to experience joy. He told us in John 16... Until now you have nothing you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 14:17. Now, Luke, the apostle who wrote the book of Acts, said, "None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself." so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. When I think of people having joy under terrible circumstances, you know, Christians have joy even when the circumstances are bad. Ola and I had the privilege of knowing two missionaries who were missionaries to Peru for about 40 years. And to our amazement, here I was, a young pastor in my early 30s. And I looked up one day, and Bill and Elvira Shear, in their 70s, having come back from Peru after 40 years along the Amazon, were sitting in church, and I was doing the preaching. And I could hardly believe that these elderly, godly Christian couple would come to hear me. I still wonder about it. (laughs) But they just wanted to encourage us, and they did Well, not too long after we had gotten to know them, we were having fellowship at their house. And Elvira made some kind of cake. What was it, Ola? What was it? Apple cake. cake. It was outstanding. Ola has a recipe. She made some the other day. It was very good. Anyway, um, they shared with us that one of their worst times in their life was when their son who was 21 years old and living with them in Peru along the Amazon and wanting to be a missionary just like Mom and Dad. When World War II came along in 1941, he joined the Army Air Force and was sent to Georgia to, to train to, fight, to fly fighter planes. He was flying a, fi- a, a, flight, a fighter plane in Georgia, and the plane crashed, and he was killed. He was their only child.
1: Well, obviously,
0: they were crushed. And they made, it way, they made their way back to California. They rented a car, and they were going to drive across country. How long does it take to drive a car across country? In 1941, I think it probably longer than now. Probably several days or a week, something like that. Well, they were very, very sad. Their hearts were broken. Their son had been killed, their only child. But as they got in the car the first day, they couldn't explain it. They looked at each other, and all of a sudden they had a joy that they could not explain. And the only way they could explain it was that the Lord Jesus got in the chair, in the car with them. They were afraid to stop and, and rent a motel because they were afraid he'd get out of the car and wouldn't get back in. <laughs> but every day, faithfully, the Lord Jesus got back in the car, and they sang their way to Georgia day after day. Motel after motel, and Jesus got in the car every day. So God's people, He wants God's people to have joy no matter what the circumstances are. And then we have continuous fellowship with God and His people when we walk in the light. God won't break break fellowship with us when we sin. Thank God, or we none of us would have fellowship with the Lord. But if we will confess our sins, He will renew that fellowship. We also have fellowship with God when we keep his commandments. Jesus said in John 14, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So the more you keep his commandments, the more he will manifest himself to you, the more you will sense his presence and the joy that comes with his presence. So in this letter that we've looked at tonight, John talks about knowing God and having fellowship with God. Christianity is much more than a set of beliefs about God, about the Father, about God the Son, about God the Holy Spirit. It's also about knowing God. It's about walking with God. It's about walking in the light. It's about experiencing the joy of the Lord. It's having fellowship with God. It's having fellowship with the people of God. It's letting our light shine so that others can see it and become Christians themselves and get to know our Father who is in heaven. John tells us this was the experience of the apostles and the early disciples. He tells us it can be our experience as well. I'd like to give you a benediction tonight before we leave, before we have closing prayer and before we leave. It's found in Jude Verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Does anyone have a prayer request before we have closing prayer and before Mike comes back up? I want to remember to pray for little Abby and for Matt as he takes her to the doctor. I guess there's somewhere where she can have tests. Maybe at the hospital. I'm not sure where she is. But God knows. Any other prayer requests? This is your chance. There's some special spiritual that's my daughter and her and What's her name, Kathy? Well, my daughter's name is Andrew. Say it again. Angela, okay? Uh, I just thought of someone else. You, you know, I'm sure you know Clyde and Jill Searles. You know, Clyde has cancer of the liver. He has a tumor on his liver, or maybe more than one. Yesterday, he went to Stanford to get a second opinion because they told him that he, his liver is too bad, he can't be on the list to get a transplant. And he said, well, what's the option? I said, well, the option is in a few months you'll be dead. So, But now at least one of the doctors is saying, well, maybe we can treat the tumor and shrink that tumor, and if we shrink it enough, you can get on the list and have a liver transplant. Now, we know a brother in San Jose, his name is Charlie Black. He's been over there for about 40 years. Well, he was deathly ill. He was dying, as a matter of fact. And people went to prayer, and even though he was in really bad shape, for some reason, he got on the list. He got a liver; it was transplanted. Now he's doing very well. There's a picture on YouTube of him holding a. Uh, is it a great-grandchild or a grandchild? Which is it? Grandchild. It's, and so YouTube shows him well and happy. His complexion's good. This was a few months ago, when he got the liver transplant. He's doing very well. So we need to pray the same prayer for Clyde. And for Jill, who's going through, you can imagine. If you're married and you love your husband, you can imagine what Jill is going through. Whether you love him or not, you can imagine what Jill is going through. You're supposed to love him, you know. But let's pray for Clyde and for Jill. Our Father, we lift up Clyde and Jill to you. We lift up Jill that you would bless her as she ministers to her husband. And as she goes through the trial of wondering if her husband is going to live. So, Lord, we lift up Clyde to you, and we ask you in Jesus' name to touch Clyde and heal those tumors, shrink those tumors so he can have a liver transplant. Our Father, all you have to do is speak the word, and he will be well. We just ask you to do that for him, Lord, in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we pray as we sing these last songs, however many there are, that you will help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray that this will bless your heart as we lift up our praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen.